Hello, and welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Bank Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. Digital banking transformation involves integrating digital technologies with data and analytics to enhance customer experiences, drive growth, and make an organization more future ready. Building improved customer experiences and greater engagement involves more than just the customer service area and IT. It must involve the entire organization, including the back end of the business process. The entire company must provide seamless digital customer experiences using the technology and data at hand. We are fortunate to have Stephen Bohannon, the founder of Alchemy Technologies, on the show. Stephen discusses how organizations of all sizes need to leverage modern technology and customer insights to stand out in an increasingly competitive marketplace. So welcome to the show, Stephen. You know, you have a pretty long career in financial services with the last 13 years being at Alchemy. Can you share with our audience a little bit about how you founded Alchemy and how the organization has evolved over the last more than a decade, actually? Oh, that's that's a good question. So, yeah, the you know starting with Alchemy, it was really at um, you know it was two thousand nine, right? So you remember the the, the mm-hmm. our industry wasn't in really good shape at that time. And I would just say there's part of it is is luck from a timing perspective. Quite honestly, what what I saw was that you had the the early first generation digital banking systems that were built in kind of late nineties and early two thousands built at a time uh, when maybe 2% of people <laughs> were online checking their balances um, uh, and and really just looked at as a, an alternative to going in the branch if the branch was closed or the call center wasn't, you know, didn't have their hours. So they were pretty rudimentary and basic. Um, and then and over the years, they had added a few things like transfers and bill payments and maybe e-statements, but that was kind of digital banking. And the systems were kind of old and tired, and they were they, these were never really built for um, uh, w- with the idea that they would be the primary interaction point between the bank or credit union and the customer, right? That they were never built with that in mind. They were built as like the supplementary kind of off hours self service channel. And so it was about that time that you started to see, you know, obviously travel agents started going away, and people started going to Expedia and Travelocity and Priceline and things like that. Obviously, the record stores start going away, and now you start moving to streaming music and movie platforms, things like that. And you, and when we, when I looked at you know financial institutions, I said, okay, well, they don't have any product that has to be delivered physically, so obviously they're ultimately going to be electronified. <laughs> Because there's no cheaper, faster, more efficient way to be able to deliver a product than than digitally or electronically, and so it was kind of seeing this trend happening in these other industries, and then looking at the solutions uh, that were there for banks and credit unions, and saying, okay, all the platforms that are available, and I won't go over their names, but all the platforms that are there were really never built with this intention in mind, and they're seeing an old technology stacks. Some of many of them, you know, some of the big, you know, uh, multi-billion conglomerates had bought up a lot of the small players. You know, at one point, I think like Fiserv had like 13 different online banking systems that they had kind of either built or developed or bought over time. And so I was like, hey, no one is here to like take advantage of this. Like, so um, it, it actually came about, I was actually doing a stint for about a year and a half with a consulting firm where I was helping them do vendor evaluations. So, you know, I was hired by the bank or the credit union to come in and do an evaluation. And, you know, you get to see all the RFP responses come in, you get to see the feature matrix, you get to see the demo, you get to see the pricing. Whenever the vendor leaves, you get to hear what the customer wished that the vendor had and that they didn't have. And so this idea began to form that, man, this market is going to big shift. All the major players that are in here don't seem to see it or they're just trying to stay alive because 2008, 9, 10 were really tough for banks and credit unions right. and the vendors that supported them. So they weren't putting a bunch of money into R&D to build kind of this next system. And so that's where this idea was, wow, there's this great opportunity, this big shift that's getting ready to happen. And really, like nobody is really like doing anything about it. And so uh, that was where kind of the idea for Alchemy was born. And, and the idea was really kind of three basic tenants. One was there's going to be a focus on the UI and the user experience side of things. So we're actually going to make it pleasant to interact with as opposed to looking like a spreadsheet on a web page. Um, the, the second was we're going to focus on, from a user experience, API integrations instead of single sign-ons because digital banking of that first decade that it was there, as features got added, it was just this patchwork quilt of single sign-ons, like a link farm you know, that you logged into and then you just single signed on to like eight other systems. 
Uh, and that was a horrible user experience and you couldn't get the data from it. And it wasn't very portable to mobile either. So our focus on the user experience was we'll have an API integration so that we we can actually offer a, a very holistic and portable user experience across all kinds of devices. And then the third piece was we're gonna sync in all the data from these systems of record so that you can actually leverage the data to deliver content to users so that you can market to them in there because eventually it's gonna to move to where the entire sales channel is digital. So those were kind of the three principles that were founded with Alchemy was just like, if we were to look at other industries and what happened to them and where they were going, and we, we used to say, what will banking look like in 2020 back then in 2009? And it was kind of this vision of that. And so, uh, you know, uh, actually reconnected with the person that I'd worked with initially uh, back in, I started my career in this industry in 97 and uh, said, hey, got this idea. And uh, this person funded the prototype to go build this idea. And then we went and demoed this to various, you know, potential customers and partners and things, see if anyone would bite and, and, and actually got someone to bite on it and said, hey, if you can build that, we'll buy it. So that that's how it started kind of from August of 2009. And then we, we signed our first contract in January of 2010. It's kind of interesting. You, you kind of were doing research on somebody else's dime, which is a great way to do it. I actually, yeah. my first career outside of the banking, the banks itself was doing the same thing. I did research on my own dime and, and, and somebody else's dime just said, Maybe there's a pocket for me to be in this. And, you know, it's interesting on your website, your company's website, you state that your company is focused on future proofing your customer's growth strategy with a platform that maximizes UX and data. Now, that's a lot to absorb, but there's, as you mentioned, a reference, you, your major back office uh, processors all would state that they do this. Um, mm. And you're not alone in this solution provider area that you're providing things that could be seen as duplicative by a financial institution's management team, where really there's some real advantages to saying you may want to double down on investing with us and you're not going to get rid of your core provider. How do you solve for that? How do you, how do you fit that niche that basically is maybe duplicative to what the core provider says they can do? but still provided so that a financial institution says, I've got to double down on this investment. Well, I, I think I understand your question. When you say duplicative, do you mean duplicative with what the core provider offers? Is that what you're saying? What the core provider says they offer. Yeah. So, I mean, look, there's there's enough history now uh, to, to be able to uh, to be able to objectively kind of state kind of the reality, I think. <laughs> Um, and that is that, you know, core providers are interested in being core providers and generally card processors. That, that, that's, that's where their focus has been. In fact, over the last decade plus, I don't know that, I'm not sure, maybe, maybe one I can remember of where a core provider bought a digital banking platform, right? So, and where it, it, whereas the 2000 to 2010, the core providers bought up all the digital banking platforms. Now that this was at a time whenever they're trying to protect as everything started to move off the core, right? Whether it be right. the teller systems moved off the core and the payment systems, the card system, everything's moving off the core. And so then they went out and bought up all these point solutions to try to pull it all back to be on the core in a sense. Um, but it's really interesting that they really, none of them have come out with a, a product for their core customer base that that at least not that I know of that any of them really like probably Jack Henry Bano would probably be the exception of mm -hmm. that you know that, that they've done they've done really well getting their base over to the Bano product but uh, when you look at kind of Fiserv and FIS and Finastra Finastra did by Malazai um, but but then it but it hasn't really then flourished since then right so and, and I think it's kind of like you're asked, there's a DNA of a core and card processor. I mean, these are systems that many of them have been around for 30, 40 years, right? Some of it the same tech stack. It's about, hey, it's reliable, it's bulletproof, we're, um, it's a race to zero from a cost perspective. So we're just trying to, you know, you know, eat, uh, you know, kind of cost reductions out of it. That's a very different mindset than what a digital banking company has to have when they're thinking about it, where they're saying, hey, this is the primary competitive storefront that we're out there competing with. We have to stay up with all the competition, which includes the mega banks. It includes the direct to consumer fintechs, meaning I have to pump lots of R&D in this and I have to experiment a lot and I have to be willing to break a few eggs to make an omelet, all those things. That is is inherently uh, contrary to the uh, a core provider and the way that they think about technology. <laughs> and so I think that, so I'm saying it's a DNA issue, you know, with the company is that you're, you're, you're asking them to be something that they're actually not. So I think, that, and, and so the, the evidence we have of that is again, they, they, they've had, they still have, in fact, if you add up all the total users, 
you know, like Fiserv's got more users than anybody else across their, you know, with 10 plus, you know, different digital banking uh, solutions that are out there. Um, but but it hasn't really happened. You look at NCR Digital Insight, you know, NCR buying Digital Insight. Well, NCR was a, really a hardware and service company trying buying a software company trying to transform, but it's not an easy thing to do, right? Because you're kind of going against the grain. So we have not seen, if you, if you look at that, who has actually made a headway in the market with uh, uh, with solutions that uh, financial institutions are adopting and moving to, there's a few of us out there and all of us started as digital banking companies. Uh, and 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 that's who grew. That's who's grown. Like I said, that probably the one exception is is Jack Henry, but they had purchased Bano and then poured a bunch of money into it in order to kind of make it competitive, right? But that that those that they're the exception to the rule when it comes to the core providers and digital banking. So I think it's just a mentality and a mindset, and then the overall competitive industry. How much VC money has been poured into fintech? So much of it comes up to the user interface, the user experience, things like that, and those aren't really things that the core providers, um, I would say, they're not known for specializing in those things. Well, it's interesting because really, you, you solve for the entire digital banking transformation process. You know, there's, I call them seven different layers of things everywhere from data analytics to insight to customer experience to legacy back office systems, all these other things. But, you know, while we talk about Build, using data to build better customer experiences. The research that we've done at the Digital Bank Report shows that just about only 25% of organizations globally consider themselves adept at the most basic applications of deploying insights for better customer product recommendations and better experiences. Why do you think this is so hard? I mean, we we know the logic. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, but I go back 40 years and using data to try to build a better experience. Well, I wasn't called that. You had CRM systems, you had everything else. But why is it so hard for our industry to kind of embrace delivering more than just basic transactions? Well, the the the, the proficiency of using data is something that, one, it's new to all of us as a human race, <laughs> being able to get good at that. And then within it, though, you see some of the, the companies, marketing companies do a really good job of this. Some of the social media and, and true e-commerce companies do a good job of this. But then so you'd say there's there's the, the there's the entire kind of uh, topic or subject of being good with data. And then and then you have to go to each industry and kind of say, well, which ones of them, you know, which ones use it better than others? So I would say that generally speaking, the financial services industry has been a laggard. The financial services have been a laggard in, when it comes to technology, quite honestly, right? So so, so it's like first you got to get good at technology, then you got to get good at what the technology creates, which is like some of the data. Then you got to learn how to turn that back into leveraging the technology again. So I would say that that, that the reason for that is that um, banks don't really banks and credit unions don't consider themselves technology companies by and large. Right. Um, you know, and I mean, look at it from who sits in the boardroom to who the executives are to the type of people that they hire in order to run their maybe their digital channel. Um, a lot of people are still trying to like, well, you know, who's, who will raise their hand? And, you know, and someone says, well, yeah, I, I, I have a computer. And so and I'm, and I'm, I'm being obviously a little facetious there. Right. Yeah. But, but you see that the winners in our in our industry when it comes to banks and credits are those who say technology is a strategic differentiator for me. And so I'm going to go out. I'm going to invest in some great talent that I'm going to pull in, maybe not from my industry. They're going to come in and apply what they know to the banking industry. Right. And those are the ones that we see, like even among our customer base, where they do really well whenever they do those types of things. Well, then now un under technology, now that I have a subset, which is, okay, now I'm broader on technology. I think I'm doing better. Uh, but now how about data itself? Well, that's that's lagging, right? Because data, the, the use of data has kind of come after technology in terms right. of the adoption curve, right? So what, what I would say, though, is like the problem, the reason you have the 25% why it's so low. One, I'd say the first thing is most of these institutions don't have access to the data. So either the platforms they use, the systems they use doesn't actually provide the data that would be useful. Of the ones that do then provide the data, then you have to be able to uh, kind of assimilate the data into something that people can understand and understand how they potentially could use it. Um, and there, you do have to have tools or different kind of uh, you know, human capital knowledge to do that. And then, and then, and then you have to say, okay, well, now that I have the data assimilated in a, in a easy to read fashion that I can make sense of it, how do I then take and activate that and use it? And that's a whole nother skill, yeah. right? So, so I think that the that's the, 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 the last mile yeah. as they talk about it. That's yeah. the hardest that's part. Right. 
So I think that, that that is where you you have obviously other industries that have that have the tool, they have the data, they have the they have the tools to assimilate the data and to make sense of the data, and then they have the people that know how to leverage the data in order to make uh, use it to kind of drive their business. So so I think it's really just the lack of the tools and the people in our industry by and large that would make them say, yeah, I'm not really good with data. I don't either. I can't access it. If I can't access it, I really don't. I've got it all here in my data lake somewhere, but I really know how to put it together and make it make sense. And then if I do have to make sense, then what's next? I don't have the person that can tell me that. So I think that's a combination of those three things uh, that 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 make us kind of more of a laggards when it comes to leveraging data. And I'm saying as an industry as a whole. So, see, what are the most significant challenges you see in the marketplace as you're going to meet organizations, those mid-sized organizations that that really need your partnership? What are the challenges that the customers face that you're trying to help them with as they're trying to leverage modern technology and a vastly increasing amount of data? Well, I think you know, when you, look, you know, keep in mind for for the type of customers that we have, so we generally go after the mid to upper tier customers, right? Yep. So we we focus on the top thousand banks and thousand credit unions minus the mega banks, and then yep. and, and we don't really focus on the bottom seventy five hundred. Okay, yeah. so so there's a certain level of sophistication that's inherent in our customer base. Just they have a bit more scale, so it's just a bit larger and 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 things like that. Um, but but and, and and the other thing that you have within that, what what's true for that sector. You know, digital banking is a hundred percent replacement market. Um, the the systems we're replacing generally seventy percent of our target market is already on what we would call a best of breed digital banking system, meaning it's not the thing that just comes that bolts onto their core provider. So they've already said this is. And they've and they've taken that same mindset generally, and they've applied it to lots of other systems that they have. You know, I said their card system. Maybe they have their debit with one provider and their credit with another provider. They've got their core over here. They've got their RDC with this other product. They've got their teller system over here. They have their bill pay with this other system, right? And so what they have done is they have said we're going to go pick best of breed in all these various things, and then where this is where the difficulty comes in. Well, now the challenge is. I have to then reintegrate all that back when it comes to my my customer facing interface, right? So like when we started, Jim, um, we looked at our old contracts from like 10, 11 years ago or whatever. On average, when we signed a digital banking conversion, we had to interface to eight third-party systems. Uh, you know, it was like, you know, the classic ones, Bill Pay, Core, eDocs, RDC, some of these kind of things. Today, that number is generally 18 to 20 integrations that we have to do just to get the first person live, right? So I would say one of the biggest problems that that people have is while they have they have done a good job by picking the best tool for the job and not just saying I'm going to buy it all from one logo that that and everything be mediocre that it, it then turns into a problem later because now how do I pull it all back together the user experience of it how do I every single one of these th- uh, of these products are different software companies different database schemas different uh, request response uh, payloads uh, and so how do you then take all that back from 18 to 20 disparate systems and then read back and normalize it back to where I could actually make sense of it that's what's difficult so in some ways it makes it harder when everything was on the core yes not all the products were as good but at least you only had one database you had to mess with <laughs> right yeah and you, you get it but now technically every single one of those products have their own databases and their own insights of users actions and interactions and all those types of things so to kind of pull all that back together is not an easy task so i think it's just the that's what makes it, it's the complicated, complex nature of it that makes it difficult to start with. So I think that's probably the number one thing that our our customer base, which is on average has about 100,000 customers or members, that, that's the hardest thing they're dealing with is like, we love the products that we've bought, but man, to pull it all back together, to get the right data and to be able to have a full view of, a, of, of what this product is doing or how this customer is interacting with us, very, very difficult. So Stephen, you know, you don't sell everybody. So, but it sounds like you bring all these solutions to bear that can really help organizations move forward. When an organization says, not now, why are they usually saying that? And when you say not now, do you mean not now to uh, replacing the digital banking platform or not now maybe to an additional product module? I'm going to say both. Moving forward from a digital banking experience perspective, you know, why, why would they not invest in the solutions you provide? 
Um, I think a couple of reasons. Um, one, there, there, there's a, a couple of reasons that we would hear when they would say like, not now. Um, one would be, uh, we've got a lot of projects and this isn't something that uh, like we can assign one or two people to go and do this on the side. It, it Really, when, you, when you're talking about a digital banking conversion these days, it takes the entire company in order to be able to pull it off, right? Because it touches everything, right? right. So, so I, I do think you have to, you don't want to have a, a bunch of other things going on at the same time, a bunch of other initiatives. So I would think sometimes it's just a, literally a timing. Like we, we see that a bit whenever you have people that maybe are on platforms that are five, seven, 10 years old, let's say, and they're like, you know what, we're just going to re-up with our current provider for another year or two because we understand that we're going to have to like mark out the full year in order to like make this thing happen, right? So I would say that's that's one of the reasons of not now. I think the other reason of not now, and it's something that, um, that, that we're really uh, focused on right now, is that depending on the system that you're on, you know, especially if you're on one of what I would call the specialist systems where people that were, that aren't just, Hey, core is our business. And here's a, here's a, uh, an online interface. But if you're, you're with one of the folks like alchemy or, or Q2 or someone like that, um, it could be, okay, I could agree that your system is better than the system I've got. Right. But how much better is it? Like really, um, you know, yes, it can be a little bit better, but like when you, when you try to like draw a straight line to say, how much money am I going to save? Because I'm going to spend a ton of money and time uh, as an organization to even just convert over to it. It's probably a seven figure number, right? When you, when you add up the human capital and everything else, like, if I'm only going to move the needle a couple of, you know, couple of clicks or something like, is that really going to, you know, make a difference? And I think that has to do with so much as that digital banking, I've been talking a lot about this lately. Digital banking is really synonymous with digital service. That That's the reason it, 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 it actually was created was to be a self-service channel, right? And, and so therefore it, all of the justification for going to the systems are, it'll reduce calls to my call center. It'll reduce visits to my branch. These are, these are expensive in-person service channels. And so if, if I can make it self-service, people don't have to come in to deposit a check. People don't have to call me to ask what their balance is. People don't have to call me to transfer. Businesses can run all their stuff without having to call business operations. Um, I, I think that what's happened is most of the juice has been squeezed out of the lower your cost with a digital banking provider, right? There's just like not that much more you're going to like, you know, people have adopted it. So so now when you walk in, if you're paying a dollar to your current provider and I come in and say, look, I've got this really great UX and everyone says, yeah, it really is. It, it, it looks better than what we've got. But by the way, mine's a dollar fifty. And they're like, yeah, I can't find where I'm going to make that 50 cents back, right? I can be happier with it, but, you know, and so credit unions have a little more flexibility than banks, obviously, because they're just about their they're members and they don't have to worry about shareholders. Banks have less flexibility because they're about ret returning results to the bottom line and, and profits back to their shareholders. So, so I say all that to say that's kind of where we sit, I think, today. And so what if you are not thinking about the revenue generating side of digital banking, you're going to have a really difficult time going, uh, you know, moving forward and replacing these best of breed systems because there's not a lot more juice to squeeze out of the service side. So now that's when we focus on the sales side. And and then, you know, who, who can do the best sales? Well, you know, probably who does the best marketing? Well, who does the best marketing? Probably those that have the most, the best data. <laughs> who has the best data? And that's where we're trying to lead, you know, back to alchemy, right? So I, I really think, it, you know, we've, we've already started changing our language. It was stop, stop calling it digital banking. We still use the term because for SEO and things like that. But we really talk about it's a digital sales and service platform. We sh You should be able to rely upon us to increase your revenue or lower your cost. If you squeezed all the juice out of your cost-lowering initiatives, you're about as efficient as you can be, um, well, then you need to look at the revenue side of it. So really, we, uh, in fact, the last two acquisitions we've made have all been around the sales side, account opening, and then the segment for the data and marketing side of things. So I would say we were guilty of really thinking about the service side, mainly, uh, yep. you know, having a ton of vision around that, because that's just what we've always been, is it's been a service channel. But it's really making that shift and saying, no, 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 it's a sales channel. And I'll, show, I'll tell you, Jim, I mean, where that shows up is even in the vendor evaluations. It's like, sometimes we have to tell them, you need to have your CMO involved in this decision, right? Like, because they're like, well, wait a minute, this is a technology discussion. I've got all my technologists in the room. <laughs> like, no, 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 you, who's over retail? Who's over marketing, right? right? Exactly. Um, and, and, and so sometimes they're not even involved by default in these digital banking evaluations. And we're saying you, they have to be part of it because you're not going to see as much on the cost savings initiative as you're going to see on the revenue generating side of the house. You know, that's very interesting because, again, it's the banking mentality. 
It's cut costs, cut costs, cut costs. We talk about customer experience. We do a terrible job deploying against it. I mean, what's interesting about our surveys every year about trends and predictions, we realize that organizations put customer experience number one, and then when they talk about investments or things they really want to double down on, data and technology, data and insight is surprisingly low in the priority scale. Now, there are priorities, but the reality is, unless you deploy against one thing, you can't get the other. And as you said, the differentiator in the marketplace is not going to be who delivered the, the the products to me the cheapest. It's who you know knew me, understood me, and and rewarded me for my my banking relationship. You know, mm-hmm. you you talk about experience, and it's interesting because we're hearing more and more about engagement, which is actually taking the, oh, I'm satisfied with what you gave me, and going that one step further saying, how how can my financial institution deliver recommendations that make me a, a better financial steward of my money? How is Alchemy trying to address this shift in the marketplace from just delivering a nice, seamless experience to mm-hmm. really looking and saying, how can I deliver the next best product, not in a sales way, but in a service way, as you referenced. Yeah, and those two things are can be interwoven if you do it right. All right, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say that um, engagement. At, you know, it's like an umbrella topic, right? I, I definitely think financial wellness sits under that umbrella as a way to engage, and obviously, it depends on kind of where people are in their financial health. Um, so products like uh, Savvy Money and Array, which are credit reporting and monitoring, that's a great way to engage people, right? Because not only do they see their credit, but they get notified whenever, hey, your credit dropped or a, a few points or rose a few points or you had an inquiry or a new account showed up, whatever. You stay engaged with that, right? Because it's affecting you. You know, we have our savings goals. We have our spending analytics, recurring expense notifications, things like that. It's kind of like the mint.com type of uh, experience within there. That's a way to uh, keep them engaged. Um, so that, that, that that's all within kind of the financial. Uh, kind of wellness side of things. The other thing I think with with engagement would be, um, and a lot of our customers do this around rewards. You can have card based rewards, uh, and or um, I would call it you know account based rewards. You, you you know earlier before the before the recording, we were talking about Casasa a little bit and kind of what they do to engage and, and actually kind of in, incentivize specific behavior. And so and then and then let people know, hey, you're three card swipes away from you know, getting your rewards this month, right? That's a way you engage. We, we have one of our customers that just, um, th- uh, this is a really, really good, they have some of the most engaged users on our system. Um, they years ago decided they were gonna make alerts a product. Okay, so a product. So we think of a product, oh, it's a checking account or a shared draft account or a loan or whatever. They said, those are all products too, but we're going to make alerts, digital banking alerts, a product, and we're going to track. And, and so when they say like, our members or our customers have on average four products, five products, six products. They started saying, we're going to make alerts a product. Uh, most of our customers have about 10% of their users subscribe to alerts. This customer has over 50% of their wow. users subscribe wow. to alerts in the system yeah. because their mentality is, look, if if if, they're, if that user is getting alert every single time their card gets swiped or when their balance falls below a thing or when a bill gets paid or when the wire is cleared or whatever... It, it feels to them like we're constantly communicating with them about their finances and, and watching it, and they can just rest easy. And I'll tell you, the results are pretty astounding with what they have. I mean, their their users engage; they log in uh, more often than uh, than our than kind of the natural cohort does because they're constantly getting things pushed to them. It's almost like they're a sentry for their for their uh, in this case their members. So that that's another way that you can have engagement. It has nothing to do with financial wellness. It's just the overall operating of your checking or your bank account is just is ensuring that 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 people are signed up for these alerts and it feels like you're constantly like keeping them abreast of what's going on with their finances. So that's another really great way to have engagement as well. You know, that's a great case study because it really is engagement and it's continuously reinforcing why you're banking with me you know, as a financial institution. And, and you know, what what better way to say, you know what, here, here's something you may want to take advantage of. Maybe, you know, your, your, your deposit level is much higher than it used to be. All these things that we take for granted and we say, well, we should do it, but we don't get down to the, that micro level. What's also interesting, it's all personalized because it's mm-hmm. all driven by transactions. That's a great example. You know, mm-hmm. we've also talked in the industry more and more around democratization of data. 
making it so that the insights are not held by the IT department and not held in reports, but spread throughout the organization so that people can deploy them for innovation, for new product development, for customer care across both human and digital platforms. Are you seeing organizations doing more and more of that? Is that putting even more pressure on your organization to deliver those insights? Yes. Uh, so this, uh, I, I can't remember if I, I went into detail with this before, but, um, you know, like we, we had, a, we've had a data product for a long time. Uh, but the, the reason we bought segment was because what our customers were telling us is like, yeah, you got all this data, but like, it's, I, I need to know how to like turn it into action. Like I need to, you give me the tools, I can parse it any way I want. I can filter it, sort it, sum it, average it, <laughs> you do all those things. But like, like the next action, like, well, and, and by the way, where's my benchmark for this data, right? Like, you know, I mean, there's companies yeah. obviously, especially in our space that, hey, hey, this is, this means good, this means bad, right? This is where your peers are, that kind of thing. So, so having just the data wasn't enough or even having the tools to manipulate the data wasn't enough because people wanted benchmarks. They wanted to be able to then obviously lead to next best actions or, or whatever action they should be taking. So we call it actionable data. So what we did with our customers, we, had, we put together a kind of a, a product feedback group on this and we have um, uh, uh, created an executive dashboard within the system. And the reason we did this was specifically because of what you talked about with democratizing the data. I've got a lot of different consumers of this data. Some of them are gonna care about certain things than the others. So what, you, what we had to do we had to work with the, our customers and say, what are the, the key metrics that you're really judging your digital channel off of or, or, or kind of your strategic goals? And they were, you know, it was things like, we want more and more people actually of our overall customer base using digital. Because, I mean, funny enough, Jim, whenever, this is like, like a little bit of a side note that ties in here. When we, when we work with our customers, they give us like their call center stats and stuff, like what people are calling in for. And they said, still the number one reason people call the call center is to check my balance. People are still calling call centers and oh, waiting yeah. in lines to ask what their balance is whenever digital banking has been, right. uh, that, that feature has been around for 20 years, right? So so part of theirs is like, look, uh, and by the way, uh, our customers will tell us every single call, fully loaded cost is 20 bucks a call, right? So every single time someone wants to check their balance is 20 bucks if they call my call center. And it's one so, click on your phone. Right. Just, and, and it's insane to believe that. Yeah. All day, every day. Right. So, so, um, so, so within the, uh, within the, the, the data side of things, uh, and in the executive dashboard we were talking about, the, the customers have said, look, I want to, I want to track my adoption. I want to track my mobile adoption. I want you to tell me where I am on that, on that trend, my total, my trend, how I compare to others, peers in my size, how I compare to the other 200 Alchemy customers uh, on the digital banking platform. Um, I want to know e-document enrollment. I want to know mobile engagement. I want to know uh, P2P and like bill pay engagement. So what they've done is they've said, here's things that are like nine or nine to 12 of them that are just like kind of really key metrics that we're, we all agree that we're going to track ourselves on. And you make that in something that I can go into every single board meeting. We review this, we review these stats, right? And we all, and we all know this is good. This is bad. This is okay. And this is where we are. So I think the first thing is, is you have to determine what of the data is important to me and that I want to track. And then you have to really probably tie it back. I mean, one of the best ways to ensure you're going to get data, if you're a banker or credit union, give, um, give uh, financial incentives and goals and, you know, your, your year-end bonuses based upon hitting certain data metrics. All of a sudden, people are going to say, well, where's that data? I need to know what that data is. I need to know how it's trending. I need to pay attention to it, right? So I think the first thing is having digital metrics that actually tie back to your corporate goals that ultimately tie back to people's pocketbooks. And then, and then all of a sudden, people will figure out a way to get that data and to watch it. Well, that's, that's amazing. You know, Stephen, you're, you're a founder, you're a, you're a, a business builder. Um, you're also a legacy financial services executive with, with decades of experience that we discussed. How do you balance the experience you've had acquired over the years with the need to, for yourself, to embrace change, take risks, and possibly look beyond your comfort zone on behalf of your company for what you need to do next. And you've mentioned the acquisition of segment, but how do you keep your eyes on the marketplace to say, what do I need to do next to become a better partner for my clients? 
Jim, it sounds like you're saying that I'm an old dog in this industry now. And no, you're maybe, no, I, you're I, skeptical. Far like from me trip. to call anybody the old dog in the industry. <laughs> oh gosh, it has been 25 years. That's what's really weird. It's been I've been 25 years in this industry. So, um, and and I would you know I'd probably be naive if I would think that I don't have certain blind spots with things or. Maybe um, I'm skeptical about certain things because maybe we've seen it work. And so so that probably happens. Um, I would say that um, one, uh, you know, fortunately for me in, in my career, I've always worked for kind of these smaller growing software companies whose job it was to disrupt something that had always been done a particular way. Like the first company I worked for in this industry, I went to work for a company that was 30 people and they were the pioneers in check imaging software and, and check image processing, you right? And you remember the old days of returning checks, everybody. And so it was like, look what we do. We revolutionize the way the back office processes it. We get rid of checks. We have e-statements, you know, that was like a big thing, right? So we were going out and replacing IBM and Unisys and NCR and these kind of old mainframe based systems. I've had the good fortune of always being part of a company that was trying to disrupt something that had always been done a particular way. And so we were always trying to change it. So, so I think that that has stayed, you know, that's kind of, that's a habit and a muscle that I've developed over that time. But, but still, whenever you're in it, the industry for a long time, you can't help but to uh, be, you know, you start to uh, form these, like certain ideas become hardwired in your mind and you just, you just don't even sometimes question the underlying assumptions there. So I'm not saying that I, I can't be guilty of it, but, but I am saying that, um, I'm probably a little bit more protected from it, maybe just because of the type of companies, uh, that I've worked with. Um, you know, uh, it, I, I would say the other piece that what we try to do very purposefully is we try to hire from outside of our industry. So we try to hire people. We, we I, I did a talk years and years ago, maybe it was when Star Wars was big. I talked about the Jedis and the Padawans. And, uh, and it was like, you got to have Jedis because like these are, this is a regulated environment. <laughs> There's compliance concerns. Um, this is really important. Like this can't be something that you just kind of mess up because it's people's money you're dealing with. People have to understand how to interact with these core systems that many times are 20, 30, 40 years old. So you got to have some Jedis around. But but if that's all you have, you probably will just all have groupthink, right? Around you got you all been in the industry. So what we ultimately try to do is we try to purposefully pull people from outside of the industry that are in industries that that maybe are a, a, a bit more, you know, um, uh, uh, take a few more risks, right? They're, they're a bit more on the leading edge and then say, okay, how can we push the envelope here? Um, the other thing that we do is I think that we tend to, and this is, you know, we're, we're patting ourselves on the back a little bit here, but I think we tend to attract the type of customer that is a bit more progressive. And sometimes that's as a result of that bank or credit union hiring someone from outside the industry, right? Who then says, I've got to find a vendor who thinks like me, that's not like so like, you know, um, embedded within this industry and in, in the way it thinks. So I do think that we we, we tend to gravitate towards and maybe we, we pull them in um, uh, customers that are a bit more progressive and think outside the box. And then we hire people that are not from our industry purposely, like in the product and engineering areas and things like that so that we can we can ensure that we don't get big blind spots in what we're doing. So those are probably the two most common things we do to try to make sure that we stay relevant, don't become the old grandpas of, of the industry and talking about, you know, the way it used to be in my old day and all that kind of thing. And you don't do that either, Jim. So I know you're being self- I, I try not to, yeah. Well, no. you know, it's, it's interesting because we talked about a little bit earlier that, you know, um, I think it was even before the podcast, you know, can you tell, um, almost immediately upon walking into a financial institution if the relationship's going to work. And a lot of times it's alignment with the vision of what the future is. You know, there's those organizations that say, well, I'm doing this because I have to, but I don't really believe in it. And I, I talk about the fact that in you, especially in your, your market segment, that, that middle market where sometimes an organization is headed up by people that a bunch of guys that played golf together 30 years ago on Monday nights as management trainees and are now running the organization. And they're not feeling pain because they're all making money. And they all can pat each other on the back. But but at the end of the day, you, you want to find those organizations that have a vision like you do that say, I want to do that next big thing. I, I need to do that next big thing. And it's not always there and for many reasons. But when yeah. you when you look at your company's to-do list for maybe 2023, but let's say for the next three to five years, 
you don't have to be specific because that probably is not really good to do. But but what do you see as the the gaps, the things you really want to solve for and maybe do better at and 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 actually bring more to your clients? Yeah, so there's there's a few things that we're focused on. So just just so you know, um, we we recently we used to have one uh, you know product group, uh, product department, and we we now have three kind of uh, pillars within that product group now. So we have digital banking, which is like the the traditional kind of legacy when you think about digital banking and kind of what it's defined as doing. We now have data, and then we have platform, and then we, and we just made this change towards the end of last year. And the reason being is because. We want to develop out the data and platform sides to where they can stand independently. So, for instance, in the platform, you know, we have integrations to like, you know, 280, 300 different third parties, right? Cores, cards, payments, all these different things. Well, that, that that's, a, that's a resource that we would like to open up to. Um, it, it could be obviously not only our customers and the systems they build on their own, leveraging our, uh, leveraging our APIs, but maybe uh, other kind of fintechs as well, right? That say, hey, I don't want to have to go and integrate to these five systems Alchemy already integrated to. Can I just can I just integrate to Alchemy and it takes care of doing that for me? So, so we definitely see building out the platform side. Think of kind of like what Plaid's done in the industry as far yep. as connecting for, for, for data and money movement, things like that. So, so that's one piece of it. The, the other thing is that as our customer base has grown and as the, the boom in fintech has happened, there are so many great solutions and products that are out there. And then we get we get inundated between our customers and, and other fintech providers saying, hey, Alchemy, will you interface to our product and put it in your platform, right? Well, what we started doing a couple of years ago was started uh, saying, hey, you know what? You can use our SDK to do this. Uh, and, and so, in fact, today, and I don't know the exact number, but it's like something like 15 to 20 of these third parties have ha- are regular users of our SDK where they're building their products, enhancing their products, and we're not having to do the development. I mean, we deploy it in our environment and we, and we host it. But but that has allowed us to try to keep a certain speed in the market without us being a bottleneck with all the innovation that's happening. We're actually running up into where we've got so many doing it now that we're like, hey, we're we're looking for ways to make that more efficient because now it's like we got to either hire more people or we got to make this easier. So developing out a developer community that's self-service on our platform, similar to like what like Salesforce has done with App Exchange and things like that, to where it doesn't create a, a ton of additional cost whenever you sign up five new partners. That's a big focus of the platform well as well. So the API and the SDK and ensuring that that our our product can be enhanced and extended and leveraged without it being a big burden on Alchemy, which allows our our customers to you know move fast. That's a big focus for the next three to five years. Um, on the on the data side, it's what we're doing right now. It is tying the data into the digital banking uh, user experience, leveraging it so that we can drive uh, from a marketing perspective, driving the revenue and the and the provable ROI that comes from that. And then you know we're we're uh, tinkering around with some ideas around you know uh, you know publishing some benchmarks and things like that that we would do. Um, the the data that we have is kind of incredible. Um, between us and segment, so if you look at like the yeah. top four mega banks in the country, um, B, B of A, because of its retail um, history, I would say, um, has the most. They have, I think it's like 105 million accounts or something. Uh, next is actually Alchemy. So Alchemy and Segment wow. together uh, have uh, 81 million unique accounts, as well as all the transaction history balance information and details on it. And I think behind us maybe like Chase, then Wells, then City, something like that. But so when you think about it, that's an amazing amount of data that we've got there. Uh, and I think we're in a great position to do kind of like what's going on, what's trending, where are people's money moving, where is it, you know, uh, where are the trends in spending on all manner of, of topics. So I think leveraging, you're taking that 81 million accounts, which is obviously growing quite a bit each year, and be able to do something for the industry to give more insight overall uh, and, and benchmarking for our customers. That's kind of a, another thing that we're looking at right now. But in the in the immediate term, it's it's leveraging data to drive revenue into the organization. So that, that's that's a big focus. I'd say a new focus of, of ours that, uh, you know, if you asked me a year ago, I wouldn't have said the same thing. Well, it's exciting because, you, again, you have the data that can say, here's really what's happening. Here's really what's making things work. And, you know, when you have the platform also, you have the ability to say, here's what platforms work the best, what what kind of transactions are processed and, and what customers are using the most, which is another layer of data that most financial institutions don't know how they compare. You know, are they above mm-hmm. or below right. what wants to be done? So finally, if you had advice for regional banks and credit unions in today's marketplace, what would it be? 
That's 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 a big question. I'm, I'm trying to figure out. I'm, I'm make sure I don't don't sound too self serving with it. But I but my brain is on. Kind the of reality the is, problem. you're in the middle of yeah. the way people can solve for problems. So, yeah. be it self serving or not, the reality is, you're talking data, you're talking technology, you're talking platforms, and the reality is, that's what's making things tick right now. And you know, yeah, I, I would say first thing I guess I would say to them is. You know, make sure that you organ that, that the way you're organized and and you know, whether it be your mission statement or your KPIs, your OKRs you use, whatever it happens to be, you need to ensure that your organization is organized around, you know, what you can call it digital transformation or whatever. Um, I don't really care what the term is because, you know, terms get buzzy and then people don't like to use them anymore. It doesn't mean they're not valid. Uh, but I think you need to make, make sure make sure this isn't a side job. For, for somebody in your organization, but that the organization says, look, the future of our industry is digital. And therefore, everything around the organization, if you were to look where we're spending our money, areas that are getting increased budget versus areas that are getting a decrease in budget, the type of people we're hiring, the, the metrics we're tracking, that if that if we were to go into one of your board meetings and and kind of and listen, that, that we would walk out of there going, man, that's a digitally minded financial institution. Or what we'd say, they seem to think that we're, you know, and it, so if you go on the board meetings and people are talking about like, where are we going to build the next branch and what was our foot traffic today? And like, that's the kind of metrics they're talking about. And they're not talking about <laughs> how many product sales did we do in digital today? And that's, that that's, if that's not a metric they're tracking, but, but yet they are tracking how many, uh, you know, accounts got opened in the branch. So I'm not saying that physical is gone because people use physical pretty smartly. I mean, look, Apple went and created stores. They didn't have to, but they said, look, people need to interact with our products. And then and it, and it helps it, it helps the whole loop. I think financial institutions use that. What I'm saying is you'll see them track physical call center and branch a lot. They've got target metrics. They've got benchmarks. They've got bonuses tied to those metrics. And then they'll have scant little discussion around or knowledge or tracking or insight on their entire digital channel. <laughs> and so I think that the first thing I would say to them is make sure that you, your organization truly is aligned around uh, digital. Because if you look forward 10 years, it will grow and physical will shrink, obviously, right? So make sure that you're doing that. So I think that would be the first thing I would say. And then and then, and then, then once they do that, then they can do an assessment and say, well, do we have the right systems in place? Do we have the right people here and everything else? But it all starts with saying, asking themselves, like looking in the mirror and asking themselves that real kind of honest question is that, am I a digitally minded company or am I or am I a traditionally minded company that, that plays enough in digital to be able to say I'd do it? So I, I think that's the question I would I would um, have them ask themselves because then that obviously would guide their next steps. Did I miss anything in our conversation today? I, it, it, you know, you sometimes think we're going around, and I'm going. I'd hate to have you leave the uh, podcast today and say, "Geez, I wish we had covered X." Uh, you know, there always are those things. But I'm just—is there anything that you'd want to cover that we didn't cover? I, I th no, I think there's. You know, so my my father was a, a pastor. You know, for my my entire childhood and stuff. And and one time he. Uh, he had me. He wanted me to get up and and preach. We'll say preach. You know, give it, give a sermon or a teaching or whatever. And this is when I was like a, like I think I was seventeen years old, something like that. And so I remember practicing for it, practicing for it, and you know uh, it was going to be like a weeknight service, so maybe no more than a couple hundred, three hundred people there. But I was nervous about it, right? And so I had. I had created all these outline and notes and I went to him and I said, now, dad, how long do I have? And he said, well, you've got like 20 minutes. And I said, well, I mean, I don't think I can get this done in an hour, <laughs> you know, and he looked, he said, son, you can't preach the whole gospel in one sermon. <laughs> so, so that has always well, stuck with true. me. And so when you ask me, is there anything more? Oh, Jim, oh, there's God, so yes. much more. But you know what? I can't take the whole gospel in one sermon. <laughs> Do I want to go that on the path of conversational AI? You know, and, and you go like, there's, yeah, there's right. a, we'll have to do that. We, you know, we have other visits. We'll have, so we'll have to have That's that right. be one of the topics. But because it, you know, whenever you think things have settled, you wake up and find out something's really disrupted the industry. I mean, there's many people right now that are comparing chat GPT with uh, the introduction of the iPhone and the introduction of the iPods and, and the, the SpaceX missions. And, and, and to a degree, I think that's pretty, pretty good assessment because I think there's a massive amount of potential with the ability to take verbal communications and take it to a new level. You talk about people calling for balances. Well, how about balances and also telling them how they've done versus other quarters and, and hold deeper understanding yeah. that we have at our disposal. Yeah. 
I, I would say that AI, that like whenever you talk about the juice being squeezed out of the cost, kind of that last piece, um, chatbot interdiction for call center, a, a reliable chatbot uh, right. that's driven by the data and the AI side of things, uh, probably a combination of also with voice verification, biometric, you know, voice verification, stuff like that. That's probably the one that has the most left to squeeze out of it, uh, because yeah. now you're talking about people that, for whatever reason, haven't downloaded the app on their phone, haven't registered online, they're still calling and being able to lower that cost. So I, 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 we're hearing that from all of our customers. Just you know, big initiatives around we've got to we've got to take the easy calls that we're still spending a, you know twenty bucks a call on, and we've got to get rid of those. Uh, so I, I do think that that will be the next big kind of service thing there. Now, whether or not it transitions to, oh, and let me give you some financial planning advice, that's a little bit different subject because there's a lot of things like, well, you might not even have all my accounts. You don't even know how to you know, advise me, right? Um, but definitely those service channels, you, le leveraging chatbots to kind of get that last really costly a mile out of the service channel is absolutely going to be something everyone is focused on. So I definitely see that. Where ChatGPT goes and what its next rival will do and everything else, yeah. who knows? It's fun to watch though, isn't it? It's it's cool to live, cool to live in this age. Right? You know, getting to back to your your comment earlier, it's not just squeezing the cost out. the The potential for value enhancement is it's enormous, and even if it's just point you to other content available on a financial institution site, it it's it's fun to play with in your mind, thinking, "Geez, yeah. this can happen." So, cool cool time to be alive and a cool time to be in our industry. Stephen, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really enjoyed it. Great to get together. Looking forward to seeing you in a couple months of your own event. All right. Thank you, Jim. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Banking Transformed, the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. We appreciate the support we have received to make this endeavor a success. If you enjoy what we're doing, please take some time to give our show a review on your favorite podcast app. Finally, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and the research we're doing for the Digital Banking Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to producer Leah Haslidge, audio engineer Sean Roe Hoffman, and video producer Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Remember, the future belongs to those organizations that can connect the dots between technology and experiences. Have you ever found yourself scrolling through financial news and wondering, how does any of this affect me? How can I read a major headline and truly understand what impact that has on not only my portfolio, but my life? Well, our goal on the podcast Inside the Street, hosted by Wall Street analyst Sela Shifre Partners, is to provide public investors and young professionals with a deeper understanding of the mechanics that drive those major headlines. And what better way to dive into these mechanics than hosting Wall Street analysts themselves to discuss the newest trends in finance firsthand? Well, on our show, we bring you real perspectives from the front line. Hearing these analysts give commentary has made our listeners much more well-versed on the financial markets. This approach to discussion allows our listeners to engage in conversation with much more educated opinions and predictions. So be sure to check out our show, Inside the Street, wherever you find your podcasts.